This is Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Offscript on Dubai 103.8. Myself, Robbie Greenfield and Chris McCarty. And we've got a bit of a treat for all rugby fans, Chris, because we are still basking in the glory of South Africa's triumph just a few days ago. <laughs> I'm and I basking. say that as an England fan. <laughs> I'm basking in the glory as a Scot. The South Africans, I think the party will go long into this year and probably into next year after what we witnessed over in Yokohama last weekend. But we do have a real treat. It's an absolute privilege to welcome this next guest into the conversation. It certainly is. An absolute legend of rugby. A man who lifted the Webb Ellis Cup as captain of South Africa 12 years ago back in 2007. It is none other than John Schmidt. John, a very, very good evening to you. Good evening, guys. How's it going? It's very good, John. And I mean, there's so many questions to, to start and to ask you, but why don't we just start with Saturday's game and your impression of, of just how impressive those Springboks were against England in that match? Yeah, yeah, it's been incredible. I was fortunate enough to get to Japan on the 15th of October for the quarters, the semis and the finals. And, you know, it was an incredible tournament and obviously a, a slightly um, easier to follow with your team getting from one weekend to the other. They, um, they, I mean, they certainly didn't do anything flash up until that, that last weekend, but uh, there were a lot of questions about what they possibly needed to do extra to get past a formidable opponent in England. But I, never, and I thought they had something, but I didn't never in a million years expected a performance quite so masterful and so powerful. It was... Um, it was, it was glorious to watch if you were a South African, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, and it was glorious to watch as a Scot as well, John. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Now, listen, Robbie and I have argued until we were blue in the face earlier this week. We had a deluge of text messages coming in, some favouring Robbie's line of argument, an awful lot favouring mine. Settle this one once and for all. As a man who has won the World Cup, were England powerless in the face of that irresistible performance from your boys, or did their own failure, and I don't want to name names, but there were two wearing number nine and number ten in an England jersey who I felt it just maybe the moment was a little bit too big for them. So was it due to South Africa, or was it the occasion that got to the English? Look, I've I've played I played two seasons with a lot of those boys um, in the English side, and they're they're, they're good, they're unbelievable players. They've won almost every trophy that there is in the, in Europe and in in the, in the UK. Eddie Jones worked with us in '07. He's also a, you know phenomenally good coach, and and I've, I've actually I do feel for them because it was a, a near perfect display over six and a half weeks that England just went in there. They were they just you know Eddie was brilliant in the press conferences. Their strategy was good. They're mixing and matching of 9 and 10 and 12 and Faz at 12 versus um, uh, 4 to 10. I think worked well. And, and when, when he changed it, he changed it for Karevi for Australia and he put Faz back at uh, 10 to, to combat that. But then when he had the challenge of facing Darlander, who's also a power 12, I was surprised that he didn't keep Farrell at 10, which for me was probably the, sort of the first sort of um, mistake maybe that they've made from a selection point of view. But I'm not sure that it is actually relevant because I think it was one of those performances where, like the England did to the All Blacks the week before, I mean, it's almost like the All Blacks couldn't come up for air. England yeah. was so powerful. They were so clinical. They were so good that it, it, it's hard to say that the All Blacks were poor in that semifinal. They just got absolutely monstered. And it was almost a complete reversal uh, the next weekend. And it's, it's, it is funny, and there's certain things that you go on in your gut feel and perception, but it is near impossible to lift yourself up from a performance like that against the Kiwis and replicate that a week later against a team that's nowhere near as fancy as the Kiwis, but 
probably twice as physical. A pack of four, two packs of forwards, one on the bench and one starting, that are probably two of the strongest packs in world rugby at the moment. Biggest, most physical, and um, and and that and 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 I guess that things happened also in the beginning where they, after two and a half minutes, Sinclair went down. They didn't get any of that momentum, that early on momentum they got against the Kiwis, and that's sort of favoured South Africa as well. So. I guess it was almost one of those things where the stars aligned. And, and South Africa are a difficult team to play in a final because they don't just play for the trophy, they play for such a massive responsibility back home. It's, and they're always going to get up much bigger than any other occasion. So it, 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 I guess a perfect storm, really, for, for, for an English side. You've almost answered my next question, John, because you, your boys did it in 2007. Three finals and three victories. We know how difficult it is to win a final. You know, you, you spend four mm. years preparing, you get to that final, and as we've seen with some other teams, 95 and the All Blacks there, sometimes they just can't quite put it together. But South Africa, every time they've been in a final, they have won it. Do, do you know, I mean, can you give us an insight into what yeah. makes them such a great big occasion team? I think it's, uh, it's hard to explain, but the Sephers have got this... You know, we've got an, 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 a very, very interesting um, history, and 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 it's it's one that's started from segregation and has then turned into uh, probably one of the the youngest democracies in in the world, and it's been 25 years on. But there's this gravitational pull of responsibility on sporting teams, because for the last 25 years they have been, and especially the Springboks have been, the the sole biggest catalyst for unity and transformation, and I guess. A, a, um, people realizing how good South Africa can be when they are standing together, and this gravitational pull is not something that's spoken about. It's just it's something that you feel. You just know, it. and it's you play a Test match in South Africa on Saturday and you win. Mondays are unbelievably much better than they would normally be. The Springboks lose. I promise you, it's depressing. The whole country. It's almost as if it has an effect on the economy. That's just how passionate South Africa is about sport and, and in particular about the Springboks because of what the Springboks have become. They've become this team that always produces for, for the nation. And there was 57 million people out there on the weekend hoping and praying. And, and for the first time ever, it was free to air. So every single South African was, was, was watching. And that kind of responsibility just creates this gravitational pull that makes you realise as a Springbok in that occasion that there's no option to lose. No option to lose. It's incredible. You saying it, you're absolutely right, John. I mean, Francois Pinar, he called it in the media aftermath of that victory last weekend, bigger than 1995. That was the headline that went global. It went worldwide. It's caused an awful lot of conversation and debate in pubs around the globe, and I'm sure in South Africa as well. He said a lot of that was down to the fact that the box now have, of course, an inspirational black captain in Sia Khaleesi. Fundamentally, do you agree with that assertion from Francois? Without a shadow of a doubt, and I think the reason why is that '95 was it was an incredible moment because the, the the country was on a precipice in terms of where it come from. Just less than a year ago, seeing Madiba being released from prison and becoming the president, to being able to win a World Cup on the on the world stage as as a democratic country, and you know we forget that in that team there was only one 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 player of colour, which was Chester Williams. We're talking 24 years later. Madiba w- walked out with the number six shirt, which was worn by France at the time. He would have gone ahead and backed the Springboks to be this tool of unity uh, against probably a lot of advice from his peers. And he's, if he's looking back now, he can only be unbelievably proud and, and probably looking to tell all of his mates that he told everyone so. Because 
that six jersey is now filled with a black African captain who came from an unbelievably difficult background, who didn't have know when his next meal was coming, but was given an opportunity through this new South Africa to lead South Africa and become the first black African captain to do so at a World Cup. It's almost as if Madiba had pre-written the script and allowed it to sort of play out after his death. It's amazing. And I think it was six black players that started the semi-final, John. I think five started the final. It's approaching that point now where, by merit, it's going to be a pretty much equivocal split. Well, I can tell you right now, there's not not one person of any colour back home that's been left behind. We brought the best 31 players. And uh, those that got injured got replaced with the next best players. And that's that's indicative of what's happened in the space of 24 years. So without a doubt, Sir Khaleesi is not only the first black man to ever lift the, the World Cup of South Africa, he's the first black man in the, in the world to ever lift the World Cup. And, 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 I, and I question whether that's a cl- across all sports globally. So this is a massive, massive moment for South Africa because um, because of what we've been through. And... Uh, and and it's it's just a wonderful it's it's wonderful I'm I'm you know delighted I couldn't have been happier uh, and I was uh, thinking about it after the after the win on the weekend and went for a trot on Sunday and you know, I thought to myself there's been moments as a South African that you remember in the last 24 years and the first one was um, you know when Madiba was released out of prison we watched that on television then it was uh, as a, as a, a schoolboy the schools having to learn the new national anthem, the one that comprised of many more languages and was uh, you know, representative of the entire country. And then I thought, from there, this must be that next sort of massive moment that people will remember and will be etched in history of South African history for, for forever to come. And what will be the impact of this, John? We know what happened in 1995. Those images beamed around the world, and and myself and Robbie discussed it at length before a ball was kicked in anger over in Tokyo about the lasting impression. Moving forward from this particular achievement, with Sia Khaleesi very much at the forefront of it, how do you see that impacting social and political, the sphere within South Africa in the coming years? Look, it will... We have to make sure that we we make it have the best possible impact. We, that we leverage it in the in the best possible way, and uh, we also have to be realistic. I mean, South Africa's unemployment reached an, an absolute high. I think it was just over two weeks ago. We have got a lot of issues back home that we we've got to work hard on. You know, we've had we've had a, a rough nine years with a, with a huge amount of damage being done to our fiscus, and the the economy itself is under massive pressure. There's a lot of people who don't know when the next meal is coming. So this story of SIA is a massive one, and it's not going to fix everyone's problems, but what it does do and what it must do is give people hope that they must hang in there and that everyone does have a chance and could possibly have a chance of making it, uh, uh, making it in South Africa. And uh, there's a lot of real work to be done, but this is a story that needs to be spread out and, and told over and over again. And this spring, McTee needs to carry on from this and then become more of a transformed and become more of a tool of unity and continue to do so through their success as a team that stands together. John, if you can, just give us a, a brief insight into your own experience of lifting the, the Webb Ellis Trophy. When you look back on that day 12 years ago in France, what, what pops into your mind <laughs> first and foremost? And, and how did your life change after becoming a World Cup winner? Well, I think the, the only emotion that comes through your entire body when that final whistle goes is one of relief. Um, and I think it's purely because of the kind of weight and the gravitas that our, our team has on, on an entire nation. It was the most relieving moment 
ever. Um, the elation and the happiness probably came a day later, you know, when it all sunk in. But it felt like the world had gone off our shoulders, you know, and the fact that we sort of carry quite a big responsibility as a South African team, because we 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 play, we play for so much more. So I was I was relieved more than anything. But was it a life-changing day? Without a doubt, uh, my life and and all of those around us in that team, our lives have uh, were changed within an instant. And um, you know, it's it's an unbelievable blessing to be able to have been in that position with a team that was able to do so. John, we had Mike Tyndall in our very studios oh, about 12 months ago now, and he spoke very eloquently. A vivid memory for him was, was being in the, the tunnel ahead of 2003, and he felt, you know, he looked across and he just felt the Aussies were nervous. He name-checked a couple of players who were trying to eyeball him, trying to make him nervous. He said he just laughed in the face of what he perceived to be this this attempt to try and put him off his game. Is there any one anecdote that you share with South Africans, your fellow South Africans, about the moments before the final, after the final, a player perhaps acting up? Is there a story you can share? I think that you sort of you know in the change room what's going to happen because... There's 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 very little talking. Uh, there's, well, there's very little need for talking in a change room. Everyone knows exactly what they've got to do. There's a, a, a mess. There's a really big steely resolve around people. But the thing that stands out for me, I think, was also standing in the tunnel and and, and afterwards watching that the sort of watching the looks on each and every one of our faces. And you know, we didn't make any any eye contact with the trophy, which was standing between us and England. And we certainly didn't make any eye contact with Eng- with England because. You know, our entire focus that week was around just doing what we've done well to get there for another 80 minutes. And you know, there was there wasn't going to be much doubt. There wasn't much doubt in our minds about what the result would be, purely because of the kind of space that we were in mentally. Um, and it, and it, it really in that week, it, it, nothing came down to an individual saying something amazingly um, you know, f- f- insightful. The, the only moment for me as a, as a captain, I guess, I was I was really nervous, you know, especially on the Thursday night, and my wife was there with me, and I was tossing and turning at about two in the morning. I, I you know, eventually she woke up and said, "Look, you know, what, what's the problem?" And I said, "Well, it's a pretty big game on the weekend, and I'm quite nervous." And uh, I think she was so exhausted in her wisdom, she said, "If you keep worrying about coming second, you'll forget about how to come first. And I think that's really what we we ended up focusing on for that for the next two days was just sticking to what we were good at and making sure that we did it well on the Saturday I tell you what John the old saying behind every great man there's an even greater woman and I think that just chimes true with those words of advice from Mrs Schmidt I do I have, I have an incredibly good <laughs> wife uh, yeah so I've chosen very well so <laughs> without that my biggest trophy listen John last one for you we do appreciate you sparing the time but but of course we're in the midst of South Africa's victorious trophy parade back in in their homeland and, and I want to get maybe a, an anecdote from yourself as to what it was like to return back to the Rainbow Nation with that Webb Ellis trophy Seeing those scenes at the Oliver Tambo International Airport in Joburg was, um, I must say, quite nostalgic for me. I mean, I, I that and I and I mentioned it to Sia um, on on Sunday when I saw him at the awards, and I said, you know, he says this is quite overwhelming. I said, you haven't seen anything yet, Sia. I said, wait until you see what's how South Africa feels about this. I was absolutely dumbfounded when I landed 12 years ago to an absolutely jam-packed Oliver Tambo, thousands and thousands and thousands of people just there to get a glimpse of this team. And I saw it again yesterday when the team arrived back home. And it's just the most magical moment to realize for the first time 
what this team actually does represent and how much of an influence it has over so many millions of people. And it, it's quite humbling and it's quite scary at the same time. And um, you know, when I saw these images, it all sort of sort of flashed back at me from 12 years ago. John, listen, it's been an absolute real pleasure for us just those 10 minutes to have a little chat with you. We've had Ernie Els in our studio. We've had Chad LeClough. We've had Gary Kirsten, some of South Africa's prodigal sons in the world of sport. We need to get you in our studio. It's someday in the future. It's been an absolute privilege and an honour for us to have this little chat with you. You're welcome over in this part of the world anytime. And the next time you're over, John, get off the golf course and come and <laughs> pop in and see us in our studio, OK? I'll do that. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. The voice there of John Schmidt, and I've got to tell you, Chris, that goes straight into my top five. Right off the bat, of all the interviews we've ever done with sportsmen and women, that one certainly had the goosebumps. Yeah, thanks. A massive thanks to John Schmidt for joining us there. A lot of love coming in on the text lines as well. This is Dubai Eye 103.8.